0: So we've come to the finish line of this sermon series. Maybe it's been a fight for you to listen or a fight to come to church. We're we're here at the end. We've been working our way over the last number of months through the first letter that Peter wrote and the second letter that he wrote. We started in the fall, kind of took a break over Christmas, and then jumped back into it in the new year. And now it's the end, and we're going to finish that up today. But here's what's super cool to think about. And to remember, I have to remind myself who Peter is, this guy that wrote these letters. Incredible to think that he actually hung out with Jesus, to spend three and a half years with Jesus. I mean, how great would that be? So first-hand experience, it would be riveting to learn from him. But also history tells us that Peter was crucified upside down for his faith in Jesus Christ, which means that his love for Jesus was so real, so deep, that when people came up to him and said, deny Jesus or die, he was like, I'll die, but I'll do it upside down because I could never die the way my Lord was crucified. I mean, here's a guy that I want to learn from and listen to and be engaged with. And he writes this letter, these two letters, towards the end of your Bible. And his main purpose talked about this over and over again, just a quick review, is to give Christians like you and me confidence and courage in the face of difficulty, that we're going to face difficulty. He brings it up over and over again. We're going to face hardship. Don't be surprised by those hardship. That's a normal part of the Christian life. And he says that the genuineness of your faith will be tested when you go through difficulty. Because it's easy to say, I believe in you, Jesus, when everything's going really well and the sun is shining. But when things are hard, when it goes difficult, and you continue to trust God, continue to follow God, continue to obey God, it demonstrates to the world that Jesus is really alive in you. And and Peter's talking about this and teaches this. And he also says, hey, when you come to know Christ, I want you to be holy children, holy. And that's a word that in our culture we kind of go, I don't really want to be holy. Because is not that holy means self-righteous, judgmental, pious, super spiritual? That's not what it means at all. It means that I'm wholly devoted to you, that I recognize you purchased me that now I will serve you. I will be holy unto you. I will be devoted fully to you. I will obey you. I will trust you. I'm yours, Jesus. I'm genuinely yours. I will serve you and not myself. I will live for you and not myself. That's what holiness is, and it's, it's more about what you start doing, not what you stop doing. Holiness isn't I'm not going to smoke this, I'm not going to drink that, I'm not going to talk like this or watch that. That's not what it's about. It's about I will start to love you with my whole heart. And by loving you with my whole heart, it pushes out all lesser affections. He's inviting us into this kind of relationship. And he knows that when we live that way, wholly devoted unto God, that's how we become effective and productive Christians that make a difference in this world and we will receive a rich welcome into the kingdom of heaven. Peter's teaching this throughout these letters. He does something interesting. He says, beware, in the end of uh, 2 Peter 3, he says, beware beware of teachers that are going to twist the truth, 2 Peter 2. Beware of teachers that twist the truth just a little bit, who use Christian vocabulary but don't use Bible doctrine. Watch out for them, because when you twist the truth just a little bit, you lead people to a totally different person not the person of Jesus Christ in all his fullness. Beware of those people. He also tells us that one day he's going to come and rescue his children, and God is going to one day judge the world, and one day he's going to make everything right and new, and there will be no more dying and we'll be with him forever. I mean, this is the teaching at the heart of what Peter says throughout 1 and 2 Peter, and it's dense, and it's compact, and it's great. But if you're happy where you are, don't listen to anything. If you're good, life's good for you, you feel comfortable, confident, everything's going well or everything's going bad but you want to live on your own, then don't listen to the Bible, don't listen to teaching, don't listen and read or hear any of this stuff. But if you're a Christ follower who wants to grow and you're not willing to settle for your life as it is today, then you lean into these truths and say, Holy Spirit of God, change me. Use the teaching of these letters. Awaken them in me and grow me into your image that I might be effective and productive in this world for your kingdom. Peter gets this and knows this, so he wants to share it with us to help us. So if you have your Bibles, turn them on or open them up to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're just going to zoom into his last couple lines, which I think are both a challenge and an encouragement. Second Peter chapter 3. And as you're turning there, just a uh, a little story about my wife and myself. So I I met my wife when I was a sophomore in high school. She was a freshman. We went to the same church. We're very different, come from very different backgrounds. We have very different personalities. We became friends. And throughout high school, just friends. Throughout college, we became greater friends. We started to spend more time together. We started to serve our church together. We just got engaged deeper in a friendship and there was no romance whatsoever. Actually, she was dating someone and I was dating someone. We were just good friends. As I graduated college, God flicked a romance button and I looked at her and I was like, whoa. (laughs) I was super excited and all of a sudden romance kicked in and I saw this woman who I was incredibly, like we were just incredible friends. I saw her as the woman I wanted to be with forever. She's smart, fun, quiet, competitive, full of grace, loves Jesus. She's exact compliment to me in every way though we're incredibly different. I could see that God would make us into a great partnership and I just had to marry her and so she said yes. And then we had a really short engagement and then we had this incredible party. I mean, our wedding day was such a party. Our reception was such a festival of goodness. It was so incredible. One of the greatest days of my life. I've been married to her for 17 years. It's been great, we've experienced a lot together, but to be honest, I'm kind of bored of her now. I mean, we've talked about everything. We've been really close friends for lots and lots and lots of years. I've listened to her past. I know the things she thinks about. I know how she processes life. We've talked and talked and talked some more. We've moved. We've had kids. We've had jobs. We've gone on vacation. We've enjoyed good days and bad days. We've cried together. We've gone through surgery together, suffering together, and I'm bored. I mean, why would I talk to her anymore? I know everything. Why would I listen to her anymore? I've heard what she has to say. I know what she thinks. And what she feels. I'm bored. Oh, don't get me wrong. We're still married. We still coexist together. I'm still in love with her, by name only. But it's easy to just go, you do your thing, I'll do mine. Is that God's design for our relationship? Oh, how interesting it is as Christians that we have a beginning of a relationship with God. We get warm and fuzzy feelings inside about all that God is willing to do and wants to do in our lives. He wants to forgive us of our sins and remove our shame. And we get excited, super excited to know Him and to grow in a relationship with Him. Oh, we read our Bible. We come to know Him. We cross a line of faith that's kind of like getting married, and the friends and family around us rejoice at our baptism. We're so in love, growing, interacting with God. And then over time, the weeks and months and years roll by, and we get bored. We've been in a small group. We've led a ministry. We've served in the church. We've read our Bible. We've read devotionals. We've gone to conferences. We've been on mission trips. We've done all these different Christian things. Oh, I've listened to God before. I've talked to God before. I've read the Scriptures before. Now I'm bored. Is that God's design for a love relationship with Him? Or is His design for all relationships? For there never to be boredom but an increasing desire to lean in. See, I love my wife today more than I ever loved her. I can tell you that honestly, not because I feel like it. Not because I have warm and fuzzy feelings, though, sometimes. But because I lean in. When I don't want to listen, I listen. When I don't want to love, I love. When I don't want to serve, I serve with God's help. I lean in, and she becomes more and more beautiful to me. The moment I say, I'm bored, I'm leaning out, what happens? Oh, we're married by name only. The same is true in our relationship with Jesus. We could get bored, or we could lean in. We could say, I don't feel you anymore, but I I know you. I want to know you more. I'm leaning in. I want more of you. I'm not going to get bored, and I'm not going to become a Christian by name only. That's not your design for me. Peter gets this. Part of the reason he writes this letter is he understands that hardships in life cause us to check out, cause us to fall asleep. He wants us to awaken, so he writes these words. And these last two verses… The Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, have this caution and this encouragement. Listen to what he says. Verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you've been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Dear friends, I love you so much. I've wrote all of these things to you, so you've been forewarned to be on your guard so that you're not carried away and fall from your secure position. This comes out of love. He's saying to Christ followers, don't be surprised by the difficulties you face. As if it's strange to you, your Lord Jesus faced all kinds of persecution and difficulty, and He did it for the joy set before Him, not for the moment. And if if you're following Him, then don't be surprised that it's going to be hard. It's as if Peter's saying, if you want to fight to the finish, beware of black ice. Do you know black ice? Do you know what black ice is? It's that really thin cover that goes over the top of the asphalt where you can't even see it. The blackness of the top blacktop comes through, and it's just there. But if you walk across it, you won't see it coming, and you will hit the ground so fast you will not know what happened. If your friend loves you, your roommate at your apartment building, they text you after they fall, and they say, Hey, be careful. When you go outside, there's black ice. And when you go outside, then you don't worry. You're very aware that there's black ice, and so you walk but you don't worry. It's as if Peter is saying to Christ followers, sons and daughters of the living God, beware of black ice. There are things you can't see that will take you out in just a moment. It'll happen so fast you won't even know. And throughout his letter, he says, beware. Beware of the black ice of how quickly you go back to old patterns, old addictions, old lifestyles, old attitudes, old affections. Be careful Because when you go back to those old things, you will slide out so quick. Be careful. Be careful of the dangerous false teaching that just twists the truth just a little bit, that you don't even notice it, but it leads you in a totally different direction than the living Christ. Be careful. He says, Be careful. When doubting comes, when trouble comes, when hardship comes, he knows us, and he knows that when hardship comes, it's easy to say, God, where are you? If you love me, you'd rescue me. If you'd love me, you'd protect me from this. Where are you? He's saying, be careful of doubting God when hardship comes, as if anything different is happening to you. Be careful of falling asleep, of coasting along in this relationship, of just doing Christianity in name only, sleeping at the wheel, dozing off, being ineffective and unproductive. Beware of this subtle black ice. Stay grounded, sons and daughters in Christ. Stay grounded in truth. Stay grounded in the Bible. Stay grounded in community. Stay grounded and you will not slip You don't have to worry. Walk with confidence. He goes on to say in verse 18, this word of encouragement, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forevermore. This is the hard-hitting, direct Peter, who's rolled up his gloves to fight for Christians and he's saying, Here's the last thing I want you to know out of all the things I could say to you, here it is. Grow in two things in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, Don't be content. Don't just do this when it feels good. Grow, keep growing, keep going deeper with Jesus in two different ways in his grace and in knowledge. Let me explain that to you. Grow in the grace of Jesus. Grace is what? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. We deserve God's backhand for being rebel children. Instead, He lets us live and gives Himself to us in the person of Christ. That's His grace. I don't deserve Jesus. I don't deserve it, and so I get to hear Jesus' name, and I can put my trust in Him. I could choose to let it go and not believe in Him, but I choose to put my trust in Him. And here's what God does in His grace. He makes me alive in Christ. He forgives me of all my sins. I don't deserve that. He puts Himself inside me. His Spirit indwells me, a seal, a deposit guaranteeing my inheritance. I don't deserve that. I don't deserve to be called a son or a daughter, but He gives me that title instead of sinner and enemy. He makes me a friend. I don't deserve His peace. I don't deserve His freedom. I don't deserve His forgiveness. He gives all of these to me as grace. It's a gift that I don't deserve. He's well pleased with me. I mean, this is incredible. My Father in heaven is well pleased with me. I am His beloved son, beloved daughter, not because of anything I do that's good or don't do. It's because of who Christ is, that Christ was good in all His ways. And now when I hide in Christ, Jesus, He sees Jesus and not me and says, you are my son, my daughter. I am well pleased with you. He protects me. And provides for me and gives me exactly what I need when I need it. No more, no less. He gives me all of these things. I deserve none of them. He opens his ear to hear my prayers. He talks to me. He's willing to walk with me, guide me, comfort me, teach me. All of this comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So when Peter says, grow in this grace, what does he mean? All these things that God says about you, He says, grow in those things. Not that you could change your status, it's already given to you in Christ, but it's almost like He's providing you with a new set of clothes to put on every day. And you have a choice to grow. I am a child of God, I am a son or daughter of the King. I am redeemed. I am reconciled. I am at peace with God. I will wear these clothes. I will grow comfortable in these new things. I will push away the shameful voices that come my way that tell me I'm a piece of garbage. I will push away my doubts and fears, but I will robe myself in the righteousness of Christ and grow being comfortable in who you say I am, not who I think I am, or who other people tell me I am, I will grow more and more confident as your son, your daughter. I am a prince. I am royalty. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what Christ has done for me. Grow in that, begin to get comfortable in that, walk in that, is what He's inviting us to do. That we can live without worry, because God will sustain us. We can live without shame, because God's forgiven us. We can live without temptation because we know that God has the power to help us. We can live without fear because God is with me always until the very end of the age. This is growing in grace. Get comfortable in who He says you are and walk it out day by day. But He says grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ too. What does that mean? This is a holistic knowledge of both mind and heart. It's a holistic experience that's confirming and recognizing and understanding, becoming so familiar with who Jesus is. It's moving from a plastic religion to an intimate relationship. And that's mind-blowing. The God of the universe wants an intimate relationship with you, not a plastic religion. He's not a fraud or a fake, and he doesn't want his kids to be frauds or fakes too. He wants intimate connection with you. This is incredible that this is what he wants. So as you grow in that, it's saying, I want to know who you are, God. I'm going to read your scriptures. I'm going to study the person and work of Christ in the Gospels. I'm going to lean into, learn more about who you are as if I could ever learn enough, as if I could read the Bible and know everything and pass a test, yeah, right. How arrogant of you. Instead of saying, God, as I read the Bible, it is your living word that you promise you'll cut and chisel and change me as I lean into it. Oh, change me. Grow me. Show me more of who you are so that I know the real from the fake. Peter's saying, if you want to fight to the finish, relentlessly pursue Jesus. Relentless. See, we're relentless in pursuing a lot of things, But how many of us relentlessly pursue Jesus? Oh, I got the wife, so I don't have to pursue her anymore. I got the husband. I don't have to pursue him anymore. I got the job. I don't have to pursue him anymore. I got Jesus. I don't have to pursue him anymore. No. Relentlessly pursue deeper intimacy with Jesus. That's the design God has for us. It's interesting that He couples grow in grace and knowledge, because there's people that have grace. They've experienced God. They have felt God, but they don't know who He really is. And flip it the other way, there are people that know a lot about God, a lot of intellectual about God, a lot of theology about God, but they've never experienced His grace and His mercy. He says, do them both grow in grace and knowledge, because that is who I really am. I am full of grace and and full of truth. Know my grace and my truth. Experience my grace and my truth. Pursue me. I'm so grateful that people come to Faith Church who have no relationship with Jesus. You feel welcome to come here and seek after Jesus. You come here, and you may just be exploring Jesus. I'm glad that you're here. Really glad. Because if you seek Him, you will find Him. I'm confident of that, because He's not far from any of us. I'm also glad that there are people coming here that are starting to walk with Jesus. You've come to know Christ. You put your trust in Him. What do you do now if you want to pursue Him? You start to open up your Bible. You start to ask Him to help you listen to Him. You start to talk to Him in Jesus' name. You start to obey Him and follow His commands. That's how you pursue Him. Some of you have been following Jesus for a number of years. What do you do if you want to pursue Jesus? I think one of the interesting things Jesus said in the Bible that we ignore in our Western culture, he says, you'll know who my disciples are by who obeys me. If you're really my disciple, he says, a disciple is someone who just follows, if you're really my disciple, you will obey me. Not you will like me, not you'll feel me, not that you'll get warm and fuzzy feelings, not that you'll know me. He says, those who are my disciples obey me. I say something, you love me, you trust me, you walk with me, you follow me. Come, follow me, he invited his disciples. Which, come, obey me. You want to pursue Jesus? Quit the excuses. Quit the caveats. Quit waiting till you feel like it. Obey. When he says something, do it. Ask him to help you do it. Follow him. Some of you have been following Jesus for a lot of years, decades. What do you do? Maybe you'd be honest with him today and say, I'm bored. Maybe you're honest enough with them to say, I've been there, done that. I've been in small groups. I've done all this stuff, and God, I'm bored. I want to be awake. I want to be in love. I want to follow you, but I confess to you today I've been bored. What do I do? You've been in that same small group or Sunday school class for decades. Quit that group and get another one. You've been reading the same Bible translation. Read a different Bible translation. You've been listening to the same Christian music all your life. Change it up. Read a biography of some saint from the past. Do something. Do not settle with falling asleep on Jesus. Because that's not what relationships are meant to be, and it's so quick the more we know someone to go to sleep on them and be by name only. Don't settle for that. Ask the God of the universe to reawaken, re-spark, rekindle, Your passion for him, and then do something about it. Change things up. Try something new. Jesus is the same yesterday, forever, but you can reignite a passion from him by changing things up in what you read and what you listen to and what you experience that you might serve him. Renew your vow to Jesus today. And ultimately, he gets the glory for all of this. He is worth it. Just listen to this. This is. If Jesus, I don't know, I'll be careful here, but analogy. If Jesus was going to put an online profile of who he is and why you should fall in love with him, this would be it. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For, Jesus, for in Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything Jesus might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. This incomparable Christ, and we're bored? This great I Am, and we don't have fuzzy feelings? This atoning sacrifice for our sins, and we use excuses why we don't follow Him. This is the living Christ. Beg God to reignite a passion for the living Christ in your heart. You and get past yourself and chase Him. He is so worth it. Father, You have made Yourself known through Christ. You've showed us in Christ Your incredible love you showed us in Christ your incredible grace and mercy your patience you also showed us in Christ death your justice your hatred towards sin would you open up our eyes and our hearts and our ears to long for Jesus for only Jesus satisfies religion falls short church disappoints, people fail, but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, supreme over all things, loving and kind in all His ways. Grace and truth fills His heart and hands. So living Christ, invade our appetites, push out our addictions. Invade our leisure time and our hobbies. Invade our bank accounts and our Netflix. Invade every aspect of our hearts so that we are so fully enraptured by you, everything but you will fall short. Give us a new appetite, a new taste for you today. I pray this in the strong and victorious name of Christ. Amen.